Happy International Red Panda Day 2021, y'all. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to this bonus episode of the Rossafari podcast, Rossafari Revisited for International Red Panda Day 2021. Y'all, it has recently come to my attention, and this is not entirely surprising, but that a lot of people that are newer fans haven't gone back and listened to all the older episodes, and like, Hey, I totally get it. There are a lot of podcasts that I'm a fan of that I haven't gone back and listened to. But I will tell you this, if you haven't done that, you're missing some good stuff. And so today, to celebrate International Red Panda Day 2021, my favorite holiday of the year, I'm going to be bringing you two interviews that aired last season. The first one is with Danica Wolf, who at the time was a keeper at Zoo Atlanta. Now, Danica worked with Iggy, who was one of the first red pandas that I ever really felt a special bond with and fell in love with. And uh, when I learned of her passing, I was really bummed. Uh, So when I decided to start this podcast, I made it a goal to try to talk to someone from Zoo Atlanta about Iggy. And that turned out to be Danica. And Danica has gone on to become an incredibly good friend. We, we text a lot. We chat occasionally. And, um, oh, by the way, she also volunteers with Red Panda Network, just like I do. I am so proud to call her a friend, and I'm, I'm so excited about just having her in my life. And I'm really excited to share this interview with y'all again. Many people have told me that this was their favorite early episode that I did. And so if you haven't heard it yet... Now you're going to get a chance to. And then immediately following that, I'm going to be sharing my interview with Terrence Fleming of Red Panda Network. Now, as you may have heard on the Zoo News episode from earlier this week, um, more Red Panda pelts have been captured this year alone than in the last two years combined in Nepal. And there are a lot of reasons for this, um, poverty and, and the pandemic being two big ones. But uh, Red Panda Network is boots on the ground working hard to save the lives of Red Pandas in Nepal. And the stories and the efforts that Terrence talks about are amazing. So if you haven't heard these interviews yet, I think you're in for a real treat. And frankly, even if you have, come on, they were a while ago. It's not going to hurt to listen back again. I think you'll get new stuff from them. Uh, So I'm going to play my ad quick and then we'll get to it. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. 
Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. On a quick side note, y'all, sorry if my voice sounds a little weird doing this intro. It's uh, two o'clock in the morning and I'm recording this in a hotel room in Columbus, Ohio, because I'm going to the Columbus Zoo tomorrow to hang out with my good friend Christy Nuss and to uh, celebrate International Red Panda Day in style with the pandas there. So, without further ado, here are my interviews with Danica Wolf and Terrence Fleming. Danica, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, can you start off by telling the listeners just who you are and what you do? So, yeah, my name is Danica. I'm a giant panda and carnivore keeper at Zoo Atlanta. I've been at the zoo for about five years now, actually. I started as an intern in the carnivore department, and I bounced around the zoo for a while, and now I work exclusively in our giant panda, red panda section. That's incredible. That I feel like that is the dream for so many people. It's a pretty awesome job. It's not the route I started on, but as soon as I met the pandas, that's where I wanted to spend my time. So where did you start? I actually started in the petting zoo. Uh, with the goats, who are probably the most underrated animals at the zoo. <laughs> I love the goats. And it's nice because you can cuddle them. <laughs> I don't work with any animals that I can cuddle. So, Quick fun little story on my Instagram. I have a rule that I only use portrait mode for goat photos. It's just a weird little rule, but I just I, goats look so good in portrait they mode. They do. It's the beard. Yep. It's the beards. 100%. Cool. So um, today uh, we're here to talk about Iggy. And Iggy was the red panda here at Zoo Atlanta, and um, she lived a great long life and is, is unfortunately no longer with us. But I was just hoping that you could give me some insight on Iggy. So do you know when Iggy first got here and where she came from or anything like that? Uh, Iggy was born at the Cincinnati Zoo. Every good panda Every was born zoo. at the Cincinnati Zoo. <laughs> um, and she came here to kind of live out retirement in our habitat. We don't have the setup for a breeding pair right now, so we're kind of a retirement facility for red pandas. She lived with a small muntjac named Marvin, who's also unfortunately no longer with us, but he is a very well-known Zoo Atlanta resident. And he lived harmoniously with our previous red panda because, you know, red pandas live in trees, muntjacs don't. But as soon as AG showed up, she made it very clear that she did not want Marvin in her space. So <laughs> Marvin moved elsewhere in the zoo and she kind of just hung out in there by herself. She was a very keep to herself animal. Our relationships with her were pretty transactional. It was always what was in it for her. Uh, one of the keepers that used to work with her joked that if you didn't have what she wanted, she'd throw up a proverbial peace sign and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she's just special. Like she was one of those animals that wasn't super interactive, but still managed to just steal your heart right away. Sure. I, so to tell you a little bit about my love of red pandas, cause I have a kind of weird story of, of how I got into this. Um, my whole life, I loved animals, and it was always turtles, especially sea turtles. They just touched me. And if you asked me from age about 3 to 30-something, I would have said my favorite animals are turtles. And then I was going through some stuff in life. I went through some changes, some exciting but scary stuff, and I ended up moving to Philadelphia. And I joined the zoo because I didn't really know anyone there. And there was a red panda there named May. 
And from the first time I went to the zoo, she just, she looked up at me and we made a connection and I fell in love and knew I had a new favorite animal, which is crazy to just change something like that, you know, later in life. And then um, shortly thereafter, I, I came to Zoo Atlanta and I took one look at Iggy and just goodbye. She's everything. a heart stealer. Yeah. I think that was the first time I would have actually admitted to anyone that, that red pandas were now my favorite animal, you know? Um, she just, oof, yeah. And, and she looked right at me and, and stared into my soul for a minute. And that was, that was, that was it. And I was, I was done. She probably was wondering if you had some grapes or something. Oh, I'm sure. I, <laughs> one of my favorite things about animals is knowing that even though you feel a connection with them, they can feel a connection with you, but also sometimes just coincidences happen. Um, but they still feel magical. The last time I was here, Iggy was down on her lower platform. And I asked her, literally asked her, I looked down, I was like, Iggy, I really want to get some good pictures of you. Can you come up here? And she stood up, she did a long stretch and very slowly climbed up and plopped down and fell asleep right in front of That's me. That's awesome. Yeah. And I know, I know she didn't think, oh yeah, John, I got you. But at the same time, it hey, really yeah, felt like, did. yeah, John, yeah. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So when did Iggy arrive at the zoo? I believe it was around 2010. Okay, cool. Maybe 2012. And it was much before I got here. Okay, and that was for her retirement, as you Yeah, said. I think that they had intentions that she would hopefully breed, and it just didn't work out, so she came here. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned a little bit about her personality, and I do remember the first time I came here, um, there was a huge banner out front that said, Iggy. Real panda, real diva. Yeah. And I now have that banner hanging in my drum room. Oh, really? And, That's um, cool. As I record like music videos and stuff uh, during quarantine, um, I make sure it's hanging in all of them. So you can see her little face looking over my shoulders in, in all those videos. Um, but what made her a diva? And just tell me a little bit more about uh, how she acted. Yeah. So, I mean, we, like I said, we take care of the giant and the red pandas and we've always had anywhere from two to six giant pandas. So you would think that these bigger animals that we had more of would demand more of our attention, but everything was done on edgy time. Uh, you did everything in the order she wanted it, how she wanted it done. And you could try as hard as you wanted, but if she wasn't into it, that was just, you had to call it for the day, um, which is normal. That's how we treat all our animals at the zoo. But it's just, there was something about her. I think it might've been the way she kind of, we called it tootling the way she walked. Uh, we think it might've been the way she tootled off no matter how hard you tried. Um, and yeah, she just did everything on her time and she didn't play favorites. If you had what she wanted, it was cool. If you didn't, then she was going to climb away and go hang out and take a nap. <laughs> yeah, she ran this place. She ran it. Oh, I love that so much. Um, what were her favorite treats? Grapes, hands down. Um, pandas in general are kind of hard to introduce new foods to. They're very particular and creatures of habit, red pandas and giant pandas. So we'd reach out to other zoos and see what they were trying. And we had other zoos that were trying a variety of other fruits. We'd try it with Iggy. She'd be like, no, nah, you know, I, I like grapes. You should just bring me more grapes. Was it, was it red grapes or green grapes or did it not matter? We tried green grapes once and she ate a few of them, but I think it was more of like a inquisitive bite. And then this isn't a red grape, so I'm not going to eat it. That's a weird thing I've noticed that uh, pretty much every zoo I go to, it's always red grapes. Maybe they're a little, I think they're a little sweeter. Gotcha. So uh, we tried, she'd occasionally eat frozen blueberries, maybe some blackberries or strawberries, but she lived for grapes. That's amazing. I love that. And then obviously bamboo yep. was her main staple. That and leaf eater biscuits. Uh, yeah. Leaf eater biscuits. She did kill a bird once. So that <laughs> Tell me was all about interesting. That. Um, we actually had a keeper who was doing some behavioral research on how she used her habitat because we knew we were going to be modifying it. 
And we would have our interns stand up there and take behavioral observations for about an hour. And we got a call from our intern that Iggy had killed a bird and was proceeding to tear it apart (laughs) in front of several guests. (laughs) So we had to go over there. And I mean, they are carnivores in the wild. You know, they would eat insects, bird eggs, um, the occasional piece of meat. But it wasn't something we saw from Iggy often. And the birds hang out in there. They nest in her tree. So it was very interesting. And I think they ended up trading her the dead bird for a grape. <laughs> Makes sense. I would make that trade. Yeah. So, all right. That's that's actually hilarious. I really love that. Um, so I know that as Iggy got older, she developed some medical issues. I think mm-hmm. she had arthritis, right? Yeah. Um, and you guys went to amazing lengths to to make life better for her. Um, tell me a little bit about that. I know that there was a uh, laser treatment and a special box. And uh, then you guys redid the exhibit like a couple times, I think. So, yeah. Um, so we reached out to some other zoos that were also taking care of geriatric red pandas. And we discovered Iggy had some issues with her arthritis. And we were going to have to uh, cut off access to her tree because climbing up and down it was going to be too hard on her back. So after we reached out to some other zoos, we realized that laser therapy was an option. But... With laser therapy, you have to wear sunglasses, and we didn't think Iggy would be down with wearing red panda sunglasses. She would look great in them. She would have looked great, yeah. Uh, So we developed the box to block the uh, laser from getting to her eyes, and we put grapes in her bowl, put her bowl in front of the box, and she went right into it because she was our training champ. She would do anything you asked her to. And then our maintenance and horticulture and animal care staff all collaborated on how we could use the space and still make it vertically accessible for her because we didn't want to take her arboreal nature away from her. That's really important for red pandas. We wanted to give her the ability to climb whenever she wanted. And the maintenance technician that actually helped design the exhibit modeled it after an Ewok village with his kids. (laughs) So if you look at it, you can tell it's kind of got a little bit of Ewok vibe to it. And he sat down with his kids and they sketched some stuff out and then he brought it to life. Okay, that's amazing. Isn't it so cool? I love it. makes me so happy. Iggy the Ewok. I love that. It's just, when I think of Iggy, one of the first things I think of is how much we all collaborated for her. Like we, every department in the zoo went above and beyond to make sure that habitat was great for her and that for the rest of her life, she was going to be comfortable and still engaged. Right. And I, I know, I noticed, I, I did a post about it on, on my Instagram, um, because when I came after the, the changes and you guys had, you, you had obviously written your, your blog about it and everything. And, um, but wow, to see it in person was just, um, it was honestly breathtaking. It like, looks great. He did I great felt job. so emotional because it's so clear. Yeah, you know, one thing I talk about on this podcast a lot is the fact that I feel like there is a group of people who just do not believe that zoos are good or okay, and that animals are better off in the wild, and and you know all that. And I get the idea behind what they're saying. But I always like to use facts, like the fact that a red panda's life expectancy is literally double in captivity Mm -hmm. compared to in the wild and everything. But as much as those facts, you know, are important, I think if you really can, I think if everyone could see the work that went into that and see the before and after pictures. It's incredible. It was amazing. And that's just for one little red panda. So what uh, what all different departments have to collaborate on something like that? Tell me more about that. 
So we brought in our upper animal care staff to kind of talk about, you know, what red pandas need, what we wanted to utilize the space while still maintaining the integrity of the space, making sure she couldn't just climb right out. Uh, we brought in our horticulture team because we had to cut off access to that tree and a couple of modifications to it to make sure she couldn't climb up it and hurt her back. And then it was a really big collaboration with our maintenance department. They had to go in and set those giant poles in, and then they painted it to look like natural pieces of wood. Um, you'll notice that all of the pieces in there are bamboo, so it's mm. still got this like nice aesthetic bamboo look to it. It doesn't look too industrial and built up. It's very natural looking, which yeah. is something we wanted not just for Iggy, but for our guests to see her in a more natural looking habitat. That's awesome. And you guys have a box in there. That was like an air-conditioned, mm -hmm. closed-off, but still on exhibit, able-to-see box, right? Yeah, yeah. Was that always a part of the exhibit? Yeah, that was there before. Iggy had this really bad habit of... They, they do some walking, which is normal for her species. You know, they have to scent mark their territory. Mm -hmm. They have to do some walking with during the time of year. They'd typically be looking for a mate. So Iggy had this really bad habit of picking the hottest days to do that. <laughs> and then not going into her air-conditioning. <laughs> But it was always on in there for her, and she would go in there most of the time. But, yeah, that was there before the modifications, and we okay. just made it a little more easily accessible for her. That's really cool. Um, yeah, it's awesome to see and hear about so many people coming together for one little little red panda. It was That's a really awesome. – I'm not going to lie. It was a really proud moment for all of us. Like, for those people who you said, like, don't think zoos are good or things like that, that was one of the things we could show them, like, look, we are doing everything we can, even just for this little animal mm -hmm. who lives up in the back corner of the zoo. <laughs> we did everything we could to make her comfortable. That's so awesome. And even, like, stuff like laser treatment. That's got to be – I assume that's got to be expensive and that's got to be challenging. Yeah, we worked really hard. That's another thing is we worked really hard with our vet staff on developing a therapy for her as well as some supplements and medications we could give her that, you know, she'd still have a really good quality of life and be able to engage with her habitat. The laser machine itself is an expensive piece of equipment. It is used on other animals throughout the zoo. Sure. But we always did Iggy first thing in the morning, you know, if she decided to come down. <laughs> you know, our vet staff was very flexible with like, hey, Iggy, sleeping in. Can you check back in 10 minutes? Sometimes 10 minutes was two hours. <laughs> That's adorable. I love that. And the box was pretty cute. The little box she put her head in was pretty cute. <laughs> Wasn't inspired by any Star Wars anything. No, no. no okay. It was just we had some materials and one of our keepers threw it together and she didn't care. She just That's so awesome. Do you find that um, as a keeper, you have to find ways to be creative with just stuff and like, like making a box or, or whatever? If you... Yeah, that's definitely something that we utilize every day. Most of our day is very routine. You know, the typical like clean up, feed animals. But there are things that happen on a dime that we just have to think of how to adjust. So it's a lot of critical thinking skills. And Iggy declined, I don't want to say really quickly, but it got worse than it was pretty fast. So we had to think on our feet and reach out to the other facilities, like I mentioned, and think of something we could do immediately for her because we didn't have another space really to put her. So it was, we had to figure out how to use the space and make it adjustable for her. And, and you guys really succeeded at that. Like Thank I said, you. it took my breath away when I saw it. That's I'm glad. Really that's cool. You know, that's the whole the whole reason we're here, right? We want, like, connection you made with Iggy is exactly why we're here. Now you care about red pandas. You tell other people about red pandas. And that's a big part of our job. And it makes me really happy to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, she has definitely raised some uh, awareness just through the stuff that I've done and, and, and some money for Red Panda Network. And, and if, if that just is, I'm just one person. 
not even somebody who lives near Atlanta. So um, talk a little bit more about uh, being an ambassador for her species and, and maybe the kind of stuff you would hear from guests or, or you know, even just other people at the zoo, staff, vets, whatever. Uh, what impact did Iggy have on other people? Yes, I didn't quite realize. I knew she was well-loved and she was a favorite because she's ridiculously cute. Uh, I didn't realize quite the impact she had until after she was gone, which is unfortunate. But when we announced that she had passed, it was the response and the positive comments were so overwhelming. And that was something that a lot of us referenced back to when we were hurting and missing her, like how much she affected people, how many kids, animals, favorite animals were red pandas because of Iggy. Mm -hmm. And Zoo Atlanta has been a big partner with the Red Panda Network for a long time. And they also post things about Iggy frequently. So I think her reach is so much farther than just Atlanta. I knew about red pandas before I got here, but Iggy was the first red panda I'd actually ever seen in real life. And wow, that's incredible. She is just, I know everyone has like their animals they love, but Iggy, I really think like she's got a, big impact and she's going to leave a lasting impact even after we get maybe another red panda i think everyone's going to remember Iggy. you are not wrong and you guys did a um the walk for red pandas was that it with a, a team of remembering Iggy? Uh, tell me yeah. a little bit about that um so because of the pandemic right now a lot of conservation organizations are kind of trying to bring in income in a lot of different creative ways so the red panda network hosted a Five, a virtual 5K and half marathon. So uh, another keeper and I, she knows she sent it to me. We kind of joke that we're always trying to get into running and never have a reason to keep, <laughs> keep with it. So she was like, hey, we should do this for Iggy. So we created the team. We had a lot of interest from other members of the zoo. We had a lot of interest from, you know, panda fans that love Iggy so much. So we ran a 5K for Iggy. She's probably the only person I would run or animal I would run a 5K for. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> it was hot out, and I, but it was like, we have to do this for Iggy. So yeah, it was a really fun experience. And again, for the Red Panda Network, which is one of my favorite conservation organizations. They're incredible. Yeah, mine as well. Um, I love that they don't just take care of animals, but the people there. Yeah, community-based conservation yes, is huge yes, for them. Yes, and also um, they're now taking on penguins. That's awesome. Really I didn't know cool. that. Yeah, they That's just awesome. announced some partnerships to try and save the penguin as well. That's great. Um, which obviously it's most tracked animal or most traffic animal, you know, in the world. And yeah. Yeah. And they share their habitat. Yep. So it's, it's really huge. cool what they're doing. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, yeah, congrats on, on running the 5K. That's Thanks. so cool. I'm sure it was a lot. Um, I actually felt really bad. Uh, I, I donated through the Carson the Red Panda uh, team, which is a, uh, a friend of mine who, who lives out in San Francisco and, and knows the, uh, Carson, who is the red panda at Woodland Park Zoo, who is one of them, who is, is just awesome. And then I saw the Remembering Iggy, and I totally would have split my donation, and I know it doesn't matter. But oh, it all goes to the same I know. place. It's I okay. Just, I wish I could have given to Iggy as well as Carson, but, you know, from, from an emotional Carson's standpoint. cute, too. I'm from Carson. Seattle, so. Oh, okay. Cool, yeah, cool, so cool. So you know Carson and, and maybe Yukiko and um, Hazel that are out there right now. Oh, cool. Yeah, I haven't been in a while. Okay, but... gotcha, yeah. Um, Hazel is another perfect adorable red panda who originated of from course. Cincinnati. Yeah, of course, because that's what they do. They make perfect pandas. They do make Cincinnati. perfect pandas. Yeah, it's really crazy. Um, awesome. I am I'm, I'm so great to hear it's I'm so grateful to hear about her lasting impact on conservation and on people. Um, so if you don't mind, I know it's a tougher subject, but I I would love to hear 
how the decision was made to euthanize. And, um, and I want to start off by saying I think euthanasia, um, I was joking before we started recording, you can't really say you're a fan of euthanasia yeah. because that just sounds wrong. But I do think that it is a good thing to do. And I think that zoos, you know, do it in a proper way. And, and I think end-of-life dignity is really important. Um, but if you'd be willing to share what that was like, both on a, on a, an, I guess both on a uh, logical or, or scientific or medical perspective, but then if you're willing to share anything about what it was like personally for you and the team, um, and I'll try not to cry. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's just a part of our job, like being a keeper. It's not something, you know, when you sign the paperwork and you get interviewed, it's not something that gets brought up. Like, are you okay with euthanasia? Can you handle this? It's just a given part of our job. Um, like you mentioned, animals in zoos live a lot longer than their wild counterparts, which is awesome because we're able to keep them around longer and impact more people that way. They can live healthy lives. They are super comfortable. But when the decision, it's time to make that decision, it's probably one of the hardest part of our jobs because we are spending all of our time being, you know, the advocates for these animals, being their voices. And even with, you know, your pets at home, it's really hard to make that decision to be their voice because they can't say, you know, I'm hurting. This isn't, this isn't pleasant anymore. So it wasn't a decision we took lightly. We definitely exhausted every option we could before it was made. We talked a lot with our vet staff, you know, her quality of life was so important. And quality of life isn't something we just talk about when animals get sick. It's something we talk about consistently throughout their age. So we have things to compare it to as they get older. And we wanted Iggy to, you know, have a good life. And it just got to the point where we had tried several different things with our vet staff, with some outside sources. And she wasn't responding well to them, probably because of her age. She was almost 14, which is very old for a red panda. Right. And we didn't want to keep putting her through all these treatments without a possible light at the end of the tunnel. That's not how we wanted her to spend her last days. So it was a really hard decision to make, but it's not one that I think any of us are ashamed of. We did it for Iggy. Um, we wanted her to be comfortable and we all loved her so much. It was hard for everyone. Um, it's something I, I do not envy our vet staff at all because they have to be the ones that do it. But our, we have the most incredible vet staff here, and they're so supportive, and they talk with all the keepers to make sure they understand why it's being done, why it's the best decision, what the outlook looks like for the animal if we don't make that call. So it kind of just hit that point where we tried everything, and she just wasn't getting better, and we didn't want to keep keep doing that to her. So um, Personally, it impacted us a lot because we spend all of our time in the giant panda building because Iggy is technically a separate habitat. It's like the one time we get to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> so it just, it felt like this giant hole was gone. Like we went over there every day and there were so many times one of us would go to like set up Iggy's food and then there was no, no animal to give the food to, or it's just little things you don't realize. Like, commissary accidentally delivering the diet because it hasn't gotten pulled from the rotation yet. Um, you know, putting her food bowls away, just like little stuff like that you don't think would be that big of a deal. But I mean, I sobbed and bawled my eyes out when I removed a label from her food bin that had her name on it. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of keepers, you know, we sit there and like, what else could we have done? What, what could we have done differently? Um, but we, like I said, we did everything we could for that little panda. Right. Um, and it's still something that 
affects me every day. I don't like going over to that exhibit because it's empty. And then, you know, of course, there's people there that ask where she is. And it's always hard because she was so loved. And, you know, there's some people who just don't know she's gone yet. So we still have guests coming every day asking where she is. And it's been a couple months now. And it, I think it was particularly hard for us and our guests because we were closed when it happened. Right. So nobody got to see her right beforehand. And then they just came back and she was gone. Um, so as we move forward, you know, with the species survival plan about potentially getting another red panda, you know, it's, it feels weird to like be able to so easily move on, right? but you know, we have to, and it's a part of our job and it's just, we miss her so much. It's not something that we just like get over. It's little stuff that brings it up all the time. Like the sticker on my water bottle, I'll see it sometimes be like, Oh, itchy. Yeah. Stuff like that. I totally get that. I, um, yeah, like I was saying, it's interesting as a fan, you know, you just you wake up one day and there's a tweet and something that you love that was a little part of your heart is gone. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, um, I'm in no way comparing that to someone who worked with and, and knew her. Yeah, but she affected stuff, your but, life. Yeah. And that's huge. Yeah. yeah. Like we, you know, we take care of her and we're the ones that have to pick up her poop every day. But like she affected so many people. And that is, I think, a really, it made me really proud to be one of our keepers. Right. That's awesome. Um, um, thank you for sharing all yeah, of that. Yeah, of course. Were you guys able to do any, like, in general or specifically with Iggy, um, do you ever get to do any, uh, any like, group hugs, you know, uh, just, I don't know, anything like a she's gone but we're together kind of thing, uh, you know, to, to, to help as a team? Yeah, that was also something that was really hard about this one is we are practicing social distancing even within our teams. So it was kind of like a, I love you fellow keepers from six feet away. I'm sending you hugs. Keepers in general aren't big huggers, so it wasn't a huge deal. But (laughs) um, yeah, it made it that much harder because, you know, sometimes when we lose an animal, like we'll all go grab a beer or something afterwards. Um, But it was kind of one of those, okay, this happened. Now we all have to go home and we texted each other about it. Of course we were sending each other pictures back and forth, but even those first few weeks, it was too painful to even really talk about. Cause she's just such a huge part of the zoo. Of course. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, cool. Well, to, to, to take it on a, a lighter note, um, thank the, but seriously though, first, thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah, I know of course. that can't be the easiest thing. And, uh, as I was typing up the question, I even, I felt bad. I was like, should I even Don't ask this? Bad. It's okay. You have to, you know, I want it to be real. And, and I want people to know how much like, keepers care about their animals like how much i i see the animals here almost more than i see my dog at home right so it's they're a huge part of our lives makes sense um are you guys i know you had mentioned possibly moving on so any any words any do you know if you're going to be getting another panda or what the plan is um so we're talking with the species survival plan there's always you know that hey do we want to how does the zoo want to move forward with this species um what else could we do what should we do so that's all being done for the lack of like a better way to say it way above my head. Right. right, right. <laughs> um, so we are talking with the species, species survival plan, I believe because red pandas are part of that program mm-hmm. um, about, you know, if there are any pandas in the country that need to be re- like moved or if we could take one of them or if we should get another species. So I think it's definitely on the plate. Um, cool. I don't know to what extent yet. Well, I, I really hope that you guys get another one because it's, it's clear that you guys know how to take care of them. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah, I hope that works out. And I know what you mean. It's 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 that weird thing. It's just like when you lose a pet or something. Do you do you move on right away? Do you, and and people people react differently personally. Um, 
you know, I have, I have a friend who got a puppy like two weeks after their dog died. I have another friend who lost their dog and has never replaced it over yeah. a decade later because People it hurts too much. totally differently. And that's totally fine. But because of the conservation effort and because mm-hmm. they are such an important species and because you're able to impact the, both wild pandas and, um, and, and the zoo population, people in general, with that kind of conservation message and with seeing one, I, I, I do hope you guys are able to move on because even if it is a little challenging, I know the impact will be worth it. I, th- I think so too. And it'll be good to apply everything. The thing when you like get a new animal of the species, you can apply everything you've learned from the previous ones. So everything moving forward, we can utilize things we learned about Iggy. You know, this panda might be totally different than Iggy if we get one. Um, she was older, younger pandas tend to be a little more playful. Iggy didn't care about anything but grapes. So <laughs> it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I would love to get another red panda. I think they're a huge part. I almost think about red pandas more when I think about Zoo Atlanta now than giant panda, just because Iggy has been such a huge part of our conservation work for the last several years. That's awesome. Uh, and you do, you do also take care of the giant pandas. I basically. do. Yeah. And they... That's another thing with being a keeper is, you know, you lose an animal, but the other animals that you take care of, you know, they have things they need. So you have to just bounce back on your feet right away. Um, Especially the giant pandas, they always need something. (laughs) (laughs) So that definitely, I think, helped us in a way because they for sure kept us busy and unable to spend too much time being sad. Um, But yeah, they're, they're very different. That's really cool. Now, are are giant pandas the only other animals that you take care of or are you? Um, Our particular section. Yeah. Just, we take care of. So right now we're just doing giant panda because we don't have a red panda, but generally um, giant panda keepers also take care of red panda. Okay. But we're all members of the, we call them the meat eaters because technically pandas are carnivores, but you know, the whole bamboo thing. So. Right. Right. Um, So just for people listening who might be confused since they have the same name and you take care of both of them. Red pandas and giant pandas are not super closely related at all, right? No, definitely not. Um, giant or red pandas were actually discovered 50 years before giant pandas, right. which they is they are the OG. They are the OG panda, which is why some people sometimes call them the lesser panda, which I try to avoid because I think that's very demeaning. Um, <laughs> if you look at my um, my hashtags on 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 Raw Safari, give it a look. Um, every time I post a red panda, I do a hashtag that is lesser panda, and then another one that is hashtag but not really lesser. And you can actually find, I think I'm the only person who's ever done that because if you search that hashtag, it's just every red panda picture I've ever posted. (laughs) But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. But they're, um, you know, previously they were classified together because before science got really particular, you know, they both eat bamboo and they both have pseudo thumbs. So surely they're related. Um, Red pandas are actually part of their own taxonomic family. So I kind of look at it, I try to describe to people, like, if we lose red pandas, that's like losing the entire canine family. Mm -hmm. Like, we lose all of it. And, you know, there's research recently that shows that they're actually two separate species. Before, they were just subspecies, but they're showing some DNA results that say they might be two different ones. Which actually makes one of them have numbers that are even more scary. There's as few as 2,500 total in the wild right now. Right. And I know the family is Alloridae, I believe. Alloridae, yeah. Yeah. And then the... um... The two species are fulgens and styani, right? Styani or refulgens. Refulgens, okay. So cool. Iggy was a refulgens. I was just going to ask. Awesome, thank you. Uh, the easiest way to tell them apart is the coloration. So the refulgens have a little more of the darker copper on their faces, and the fulgens kind of have like a whitewash face. They look, sure. they look like they're older pandas, but it's just the coloration. Sure, sure, makes sense. Awesome. Um, 
Is there anything else that you wanted to share about Iggy or any other stories or I don't know. It seems like every keeper I've spoken to for this so far has a poop story. Do you have a poop? I don't oh, know. Any, anything like that. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I can, I can give you a poop story. <laughs> um, so like I said, I take care of the giant pandas and they're, they digest almost none of their bamboo. So when they poop, it's just like straight mulch. <laughs> like it's the like least gross poop. I've worked with a lot of animals in the mammal department. I used to be a swing keeper. So I worked with everything. And they are by far the least gross poop ever. But Iggy was the smallest animal I took care of, but she packed a punch. (laughs) It was not cute at all. Um, Her feces were pretty bad. And she had this habit. Before we remodeled the habitat, she would poop on top of her AC box. And it was really hard to reach even for me. And I'm the tallest one in the area. So we had to use like a car wash squeegee to bring it closer to us. Which when you have a group of like 12-year-old school children watching you and you're literally squeegeeing turds <laughs> off of a ceiling, it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, right, this is cool. That's um, amazing. Thank you for yeah. <laughs> sharing that. That's incredible. Oh, I love that. Um, are there any social medias that you would like to, to um, have me kind of include on this as far as personal stuff or or zoo atlantas or red panda network or any anything else that you're into yeah so definitely zoo atlanta's instagram we're always posting really good stuff um yours sounds like you're posting tons of cool (laughs) red panda stuff so i'll definitely be giving you a follow after this and then the red panda network for sure they like i said they are one of my favorite conservation organizations they hit every single bullet point as far as what good conservation and long-term impacts look like so i think if you love red pandas or you want to like live Iggy's legacy, you know, Red Panda Network is definitely something to check out. All right, Terrence. So thanks for joining me today. And uh, can you start off by telling me who you are, where you work and what you do there? Yeah. So my name is Terrence Fleming and I am the development manager with Red Panda Network. So my role is fund development, marketing, and communications, and I'm part of the U.S. team. Awesome. And uh, Red Panda Network has a U.S. team, but you're also heavily uh, present in Nepal where you're doing the conservation work, correct? Uh, Yeah. So I I collaborate with our Nepal team, our conservation team, on uh, various campaigns and educational campaigns um, and yeah, fundraising campaigns as well. Very cool. Uh, I know that those are pretty successful because you've definitely gotten uh, more than a few bucks out of my pocket from uh, from time to time. <laughs> well, thank you so much for supporting us. We of course. We really appreciate it. So before we get into the details about what Red Panda Network does, um, something has stood out to me while doing this podcast. And I want to tell you about it and then also kind of ask for your take on it. Um, regardless, now, I am a huge Red Panda fan, and they come up on a lot of the episodes, but not all of them, not not all of them. And even when we're not talking Red Pandas, when I ask zookeepers or other conservation professionals what organizations they want to shout out um, and what they believe are like really great examples of good conservation organizations, Red Panda Network gets mentioned so often that it's almost comical. 
because it almost seems like I'm telling people to do it because I love Red Pandas and Red Panda Network so much. So um, first, congrats on that. That's amazing. And second of all, how do you guys, um, how have you managed to become this just amazing example of, of what a conservation organization can be? Wow, that's so cool to hear. I, I, I guess I didn't know that. I mean, I know zoos work with a lot of fantastic organizations that, you know, are committed to saving so many important and threatened species. But it's it's really great to hear that, you know, we're liked by the zoo community because they are such a just a, a important part of our support pool. Um, I mean, I my guess is that one of the reasons why people want to support us besides red pandas just being adorable and so likable is our work. And we, and we really try to emphasize this in our, in our communications is, you know, we're very community based in our approach to conservation. So, um, you know, obviously saving red pandas is our mission, but we, achieve that in the context of supporting local people and their livelihoods. Our country director in Nepal, Ang Piri Sherpa, you know, he has a, he has a, a line that he says sometimes that I, I really like to share. I think it's really great is conservation cannot happen on an empty stomach. And that's just, you know, that's sort of priority is what drives our work in Nepal. Um, and, you know, our forest guardian program is obviously a good example of that. Our, um, uh, you know, sustainable living center, a number of programs are, are created to support local people. And I, I think, you know, zoos included and, and people who are part of the zoo community see that. And I think that really resonates with people because while these threatened species are, you know, such a priority. Um, we also know that people who are experiencing poverty and just, you know, lack of opportunities for their, for their livelihoods, you know, they also need support. And if they're not being supported, then the odds of us being successful in saving these species is greatly, greatly reduced. So I, I, I'm, my assumption is that's, that's, part of why we're liked is because that's that's how we save red pandas is by working with local communities and and helping them commit to conserving red pandas well yeah i think that's really important we're definitely going to get into some of those programs but also i feel like you guys just do a really great job managing your money i don't think uh anyone's getting super rich working at a red panda <laughs> network and um you know i i know that i feel like every time that i give y'all money you do a great job not just using it but showing you know, asking for money for a specific thing and then showing that it happened. And I just, I love how transparent your organization is. I think that's amazing. Thank you. That's, that's really great feedback, you know, especially for me, you know, who I, I, as I mentioned, I do a lot of our communications, um, you know, in, in collaboration with our, our field team. Um, 
And that's, that's one of our goals when it comes to our donor relations is, is to make sure that our, our donors and our members and our partners out are seeing the impact they're making with their contributions. And, you know, by, by being transparent and how donations are being used to, you know, create better lives and to protect red pandas is, is definitely part of our, our objective. So that's really great feedback. Thank you. Absolutely. So tell me on a personal level, why are you Terrence working for the Red Panda Network? (laughs) Great question. So what's funny is like a lot of people, when I first saw a Red Panda, I had no idea what it was. I was, I think I was probably 17 or 18 and I was at the San Diego zoo and I saw a sign for the red panda exhibit and walking over there, I looked over the, the, the enclosure wall and saw what I thought was a toddler in a costume because (laughs) this red panda just happened to be walking on its hind legs for whatever reason. I have no idea why. Uh, Honestly, I've never seen a red panda do that in person except to get treats you know right, if, right. if the uh if the zookeeper is holding the treats up the red panda will you know go on its hind legs um sometimes but yeah it was really odd i i, I had never heard of a red panda and um you know I, I majored in biology with an emphasis on conservation in college and um i actually got the job as a as a part-time uh situation while working for the university of California and their, um, office of advancement, which essentially is fundraising and outreach. But, um, I mean, as I learned more and more about red pandas, I, like a lot of people fell in love with them and I just got really fortunate to be able to, you know, um, take on new roles within, within the organization, you know, going from, administrative duties to being able to use my nonprofit and fundraising background on the development team and now development manager. And, um, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, in college, I wrote my, you know, senior dissertation on tigers. And I just remember being so upset about how few tigers there were and are, um, Although I think, I think there's evidence that their numbers are growing, but anyway, and with red pandas, it's a similar situation where such a important and unique species to our global biodiversity is being threatened. And, you know, just the, the, just the thought of losing red pandas or tigers or any of our favorite animals, just, it really, you know, struck me to the core and like any cause that's that's dear to someone i just really wanted to do something to you know keep them around and realizing that not only do i get to help do that but i also get to enhance the lives of people that live among the red pandas i you know i i really love my job and i love that i get to do that and um it was, you know, it was a, it was a call to action and, and I listened. 
so that's that's why I'm why I'm here. That's awesome. I love that. And um, you are also a hobbyist drummer, correct? <laughs> I am. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've been drumming for I don't know over twenty years now, and uh, I haven't been doing it as much lately, uh, given our current situation. Right, but yeah. I yeah I uh, I do love playing drums. I actually had a a solo project in for a while where I would just loop piano and drum over and it was called lesser Panda. Um, <laughs> nice. I, I keep thinking about bringing it back now that, especially now that I'm not in a band or anything, but, uh, yeah, I, I like that name. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's great. I have a, I have a proposal for you. I say we should do a freaky Friday move and you go out on one of my tours and I'll come work for Red Panda Network for a little bit and we just won't tell anyone. It'll just be, we'll just switch. What do you think? I love it. <laughs> Deal. Perfect. You had me at, uh, at me coming on tour with you. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, you know, drumming was always my dream and always my passion. But um, as I've gotten more and more into conservation, I, I keep looking for other opportunities to, to help, whether it's the, the podcast or, or whatever. So uh, I, I think we should Freaky Friday it up for like a week. <laughs> I love it. I love this plan. Amazing. All right, cool. So um, let's get a little more serious. I want you to tell me about Forest Guardians and and really go into detail here. Let's let's explain the heart of this program because it's it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So Forest Guardians are really the heart of our community based work. the um, The idea is to create an opportunity for local people to uh, sort of take ownership of the, you know, local environment of the forests to become um, invested in the forests. You know, one of the, one of the uh, approaches we, we use with this is, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a citizen scientist idea and except they're paid. Um, so they do research, they monitor red panda habitat and populations. Um, and then there's also sort of a forest steward level to this too, where they also protect the forests. Um, they, they do anti-poaching patrols. They remove traps and snares. They report any activity that um, you know, signs of poaching or poachers to enforcement agencies. They also, you know, educate local communities. They work with them in finding alternative and sustainable ways to live their daily lives. Um, they work within their own villages. So, so they're, you know, I mean, this is, this is essentially the definition of community-based work. Um, yeah, I mean, our team, I, I think when I first started with Red Panda Network, which was back in uh, 2013, we had around 30, 30-something Forest Guardians, and now we have, I think, 111 in Nepal. So it, it, it consistently grows, and I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of the, the programs that I love communicating about the most because I'm, I think that it really is sort of the solution to conserving species in a way that's sustainable and responsible. 
And yeah, and they're the people that end up becoming forest guardians are just incredible. I mean, you know, like some of the more just amazing stories is people who were poachers and then they become forest guardians. Oh, wow. That's um, incredible. Yeah. And what what's interesting too, is that something that I think maybe people don't always realize when it comes to poaching is, you know, a lot of times that is due to poverty and due to lack of, of livelihood opportunities. Um, you know, what, what we've learned is these people who were, who had done or were involved in poaching and then later became forest guardians is, you know, they didn't want to poach. They didn't want to, you know, capture, harm any animals. They just needed to live. They needed to support themselves and their families. And so programs like the forest guardian program is what it does. It's, you know, here is, here's a way you can support yourself um, or help to support yourself and your family. And you can do something you're proud of and you can contribute to, you know, preserving the forest that you and your community depend on. Um, and rather than, you know, contribute to the degradation or the loss of habitat and species. So, um, yeah, the, the forest guarding program is something we're very proud of and it's something that we'll continue to expand. Um, and yeah, and there's a lot of other really, I don't know if you've seen, uh, uh, Gujan Menon's the Firefox guardian documentary yet but it's it's superb and it's uh it's about the first female forest guardian manuka and it's she calls it a, a conservation love story and actually she was recently a guest on our uh live chat called the first panda forum and uh i mean that story is just incredible and it, it's it's it actually i mean i i know from writing about them every forest guardian has a pretty remarkable story and we try to convey those stories as much as we can uh but you know manuka being the first female and just being involved in in this cause for so long um you know despite the adversity she has experienced you know despite the obstacles she has experienced as as a woman in rural nepal you know it's it's so inspiring and it's it's incredible and if anyone hasn't seen that documentary i encourage you to to watch it awesome so speaking of the forest guardians i have to tell you i'm i'm a big fan of the program but i i have a bone to pick with y'all i do not going to lie okay. um I am so jealous of the jackets that your forest guardians get, and I don't understand why you won't sell them as merch. I want one so badly. They're so cool. You're not the first person to have expressed that, and I I don't want to rub it in, but I do have one. Oh my god! All right, that's not even that's not even fair. That's not even fair. <laughs> but hey, but actually, in my defense, it did take me a long time to get one. Um, like I like recently got it. Okay, <laughs> like wow. last year, seven years later. Wow, okay. twenty nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. They and and 
you know, a, a large, actually, I would say that the reason why we don't sell them on our website is because uh, shipping things from Nepal is not easy. Oh, so those are actually made in Nepal, or they are. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, now I get why you don't sell them, and I want yeah. one even more. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The more exclusive something is, the more. Maybe that's why we're doing that. Maybe that's why we're not offering them because, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. At least mm, every three or four times that you guys post something about them, I go back to the website to see if I missed it yet. I, I'm I'm obsessed with those jackets. So okay, I'll I'll <laughs> I'll try to shake things up and see if we can. Yeah, because yeah, because those are not just something amazing. I, yeah, no, I I I love my Forest Garden jacket. I wear it, especially now that it's the rainy season. I'm I'm wearing it pretty often. So so tell me about the recent stove initiative that you guys did because I thought that was really cool and it felt really good to donate to that. Um, it's it's part of our sustainable livelihoods uh mission uh you know the forest gardening program is is a part of that and so we work with local communities to provide improved cooking stoves so these are metal stoves that require significantly less uh firewood they um they have chimneys so they you know th- they produce um less or no uh indoor pollution and our campaign right now is to number one provide every forest guardian and their family with one and uh also to provide local community members uh like people who own own homestays so if you don't know what a homestay is at least in this context is they are local people or families who provide accommodations for people who are on eco trips or are part of some sort of um, you know sustainable travel, uh, which includes our eco trips that we do to Nepal. Um, so, yeah, and our, our campaign is to pr- provide these people um, with a improved cook cook stove i don't have the numbers right in front of me but um it's a oh it's it's 85 so so i think about 30 of our forest guardians 25 to 30 of our forest guardians currently have them because we've provided them to them and our goal is to provide the remaining 85 forest guardians um which we've started doing and then there's also about 100 and 110 homestay owners and community members that were also going to be providing new stoves to. So that's the objective. And this is a, I, this is also an, an initiative that I, I really feel passionate about. And it, again, it's because it kind of the, the, the need expands beyond just, you know, a conservation goal. Uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't really know this until I started working with Red Panda Network. But uh, four million people die every year from illnesses that are attribu- attributable to indoor air pollution uh, caused by use of traditional cooking stoves. So you know, we're talking metal, or uh, sorry, um, like mud, <laughs> like mud stoves. I mean, you know, I mean, the, 
just not very efficient stoves that produce a lot of indoor air pollution. Um, and, and, you know, and, and aside from that, there's just there, you know, there's just a really high level of respiratory illness in a lot of these rural communities, um, all over, you know, the Himalayas. And so in Nepal, this program will not only drastically reduce that, but it will also, because these stoves require less, you know, wood, um, which, you know, fuel wood harvest is a, a very, um, it's a primary reason for, for forests to be degraded and to be, uh, cut down in, in, uh, red panda range areas. So these stoves will require about 50% less fuel wood. Um, so that'll help to conserve the forest. And then also there's another level too, that's really interesting is because these stoves are so much more efficient, they require a lot less time, um, to use and to also, you know, gather fuel wood and, and whatnot. So, so people will just have more time, which, you know, living in these very remote rural areas, a lot of people's time is spent surviving. It's, it's spent doing these daily things to, you know, gather resources they need, uh, including, you know, firewood, um, which they won't have to do as much, which will give them more time to do other things that, you know, they want to do that help them live. So. That's really incredible. Yeah. I don't think that most people would think of building stoves as, you know, helping save animals, but it really does. And, um, I think it's awesome both that y'all have, uh, people who are thinking of stuff like that and who are aware of that and, and can build those programs. And also, again, it, it goes back to, I just have to praise the communication again, because I mean, I'm not going to lie. The first time that you guys sent something out and said, Hey, help us build stoves. I was like, <laughs> uh, no, but then I read it and I was like, Oh, okay. This is actually going to really like, you do such a great job explaining why it helps pandas and you know, like, helping people is good too, I guess, but um, <laughs> we want to help both. Um, but yeah, I just, I find that really cool. I find that most, uh, I mean, I talk to a lot of great conservationists and, you know, the focus is normally on what can we do to help the animals? And that's really important. But the community-based conservation efforts of Red Panda Network really impress the heck out of me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. So let's talk about um, the uh, the Plant a Red Panda Home Initiative. Yeah, so... That is another community-based program. Um, it is essentially in response to devastating levels of deforestation that are happening in Nepal. And a, a, a big reason for that is uh, you know, threats like fuel wood harvest just situations where people are unable to live their daily lives without these forest resources with, without harvesting these forest resources. Um, you know, so, uh, forest resource harvest livestock, um, herding. So a lot of local herders in red panda habitat will cut down trees to, create uh grazing areas for their livestock 
they will also use the wood they collect from forests to build their herder huts. Um, so, so a lot of red panda habitat is, you know, consequently lost because of uh, people's behavior, um, people's sort of actions due to, you know, lack of alternatives for them. So, plant a red panda home is sort of it's part of a, a, a multi-tiered approach. You know, on one on one tier we have our more conservation you know, focus. So, uh, habitat management, sustainable habitat management, habitat protection and education. Um, so essentially that collectively helps to protect the forest. Then on this other tier, we have, you know, restoring what hasn't been protected. Um, because so much red panda habitat is not intact. Uh, red panda habitat in Nepal has been fragmented to about 400 forest patches. Um, so red pandas, like a lot of species, a lot of forest dwelling species, need corridors. They need they need uh, large enough areas to find food, find shelter, escape predators. Um, and so while we're working with local people to preserve what is left we're also working with local people to plant trees and to reforest the areas that didn't get protected. Um, and, you know, this holistic approach is, is part of our goal to you know, create a forest corridor in Nepal that connects to protected areas in Nepal and India. Um, so there's, just this biological corridor for red pandas and other threatened species to survive and to thrive. Makes sense. That's awesome. Um, so I have a question about climate change and this current initiative. So um, we all know about the liberal hoax known as climate change. <laughs> right. I'm kidding, of course. And um, But so as you're figuring out where you're going to plant these new trees and where you're going to build these corridors and stuff, are you guys consulting with any climatologists or anything like that? Because um, with, with temperatures rising, I, I assume that if anything, uh, red panda habitat um, long-term might be shifting south a little bit might be you know as 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 temperatures um change or i'm sorry sh shifting north uh, as as temperatures change and everything are you guys just trying to hit the same exact area that they've always lived or is there anything being done for like predicting where they may end up that's a good question i i i know that as part of the Nepal Red Panda Conservation Action Plan, which is essentially what we use to guide our work in Nepal. Um, climate change is an important part of that. It's 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 a core objective for the plan. But as far as us moving where we're restoring habitat due to climate change. That's not something I can really speak to. Um, I mean, I obviously part of how this campaign in particular 
and really all of our campaigns, um, specifically our, our habitat management um, or uh, habitat protection programs, they are obviously either protecting trees or we're, we're planting new trees, which obviously helps to, you know, combat climate change. Um, so climate change is obviously a priority for us. Red pandas are an arboreal species. So there's already this need to provide trees for their habitat. Um, but obviously when we plant trees or when we protect trees, we're also helping to, um, among another, among many things, uh, combat climate change. So. Cool. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, awesome. So, um, I just in general, when it comes to conservation, if you were to meet someone tomorrow who has never really thought about conservation before, but now for the first time is like, Ooh, I want to get involved. How would you tell them to go about doing that? To get involved with red panda conservation? Just sure. Or conservation in general, either way. Because I know red panda conservation, you just look up red panda network and give you guys all the money and do all the cool <laughs> things and it'll be fine. But no, just um, anyone who just ha- like is discovering a heart for conservation. Yeah, great question. I mean, I think, I mean, there's a few, a few sort of ways you could really get engaged in conservation. Um, obviously some of these opportunities are limited right now with, with the coronavirus, but I mean, fortunately with social media and everything being, or most things being virtual now, um, you know, find, find an event, find a virtual event, find maybe a way you could volunteer um, I mean, I know that I know that we offer volunteer opportunities. A lot of zoos, um, which you know, people don't always know this, but zoos are very involved in conservation. At least, at least the ones that are, um, you know, accredited and support global, you know, species management management plans. We work with many of them that have red pandas, um, and other you know other nonprofits too that are that are doing conservation. Volunteering is always a great way to not only support their mission, but it's also, you know, a great way to sort of um, feel like you're making a difference. And, um, you know, whether this is on a volunteer level or whether this is on a just sort of a, a personal, you know, advocacy level, you know, spread the word, tell your friends about you know, for example, I mean, still, I think probably, I don't know if it's most people, but there are a lot of people left in this planet who, who don't know what red pandas are. Um, I still will, will come in contact with people that don't really, or who just found out about red pandas. Um, so, you know, tell your friends about red pandas, you know, make sure, you know, we, we really try to empower people to share their love for red pandas, but make sure that we're being responsible in our communication because as we all know, red pandas are cute and their, their temperament 
leads people to believe that they may make good pets. We of course <laughs> know that that's not, that's not the truth. And, um, so, you, you know, make sure when you're, when you're you know, helping to raise red panda awareness that you're letting people know that they're obviously adorable, but they belong in the wild. Um, and so, uh, I mean, sort of an opportunity that's, that's coming out of the current state of the world is, you know, there's a lot of creative and fun opportunities to, uh, to support nonprofits. Um, we have a few, what we call, uh, peer to peer campaigns that we, we usually have at least one going throughout the year. Um, and they're fun. You know, we, we try to make them health focused. So we've had run for red pandas. We've had, um, we're just starting to do this, this campaign called ride for red pandas. Um, and it's, it's, you know, ways that you can stay healthy and, um, still be involved and, you know, raise awareness and raise funds for conservation. Is Ride for Red Pandas through like a Peloton type thing or something like that? Yeah, or any stationary exercise bike or nice. or a regular bicycle if you, you know, happen to live in a place where there's not winter happening. So I guess right, right. the southern hemisphere, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I, I you know, as as much as you know, the 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 pandemic has made things challenging, I mean it it, it also has made it pretty you know um access it's made things accessible for people on a level that I, I don't think it's ever it's ever been like i mean you know you can sign up for events you can join webinars you can do all from your you know home and um it's usually either free or cheaper than it would be to travel and um or join in person so you know, I think there's a lot of, and I think any of these are great ways to get started if you've never really been involved in conservation. Excellent. Great, great, great uh, advice there. Um, so I have a question about uh, recent science. Uh, so red pandas, often thought to be two subspecies, now thought to be two different species. First of all, I will tell you that I have, I have spoken to some scientists who disagree pretty vehemently about that. Um, it's kind of entertaining right now. But for the, for the now, let's say that they, they are truly two species, uh, what effect does that have on red panda conservation? Good question. So, yeah, I mean... I think I think the science community seems pretty split on this on this idea. Um, I know that our board chair Angela Gladstone, who, um, so we recently released an article called "Red Panda: Two Species or One," and. I thought it was interesting that you guys were jumping in there. Actually, I was I was a little <laughs> surprised when I saw that pop up. Thanks. Yeah, I mean. Um, it's yeah, it's uh, something that we didn't respond to initially, um, but I think we wanted to make sure that there wasn't this notion, you know, or or, or people weren't getting too swept up in this being a fact. 
I, I think that we're all pretty confident that this is more of just a theory um, that's not been fully proven. And so this article, we really tried to be object. I mean, of course, we were trying to be objective, but we also were trying to bring up you know, the possibility of this not being true and that these are potentially just subspecies. Um, but if, if it is true, then what it does is, well, first of all, so just the idea of, of them being two species, just red pandas getting that sort of global attention um, could be beneficial in that, you know, scientists are looking at this species and you know they're 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 getting sort of a priority um in the in the the scientific realm uh as far as you know their status and everything which which could benefit the species just um just kind of knowing where they're at as far as numbers and everything if they are two species that means that their numbers are essentially maybe not split 50-50 but um, each species is probably more endangered than they already are because now there's two species, you know, I mean, at most there's 10,000 red pandas in the wild and there could be as few as 2,500. So if, if, you know, um, the, the Stiani subspecies or species in China, you know, if that makes up say 60% of them, then, you know, there's far less Stiani and there's obviously far less of the the fulgens fulgens species or subspecies that which is the the himalayan species that that we currently work to protect um so i i think that you know if we ever reach a place where it's been determined that they are two species then i think you know the conservation community is going to have to respond because you know, now we're not just dealing with one species that's at this level of endangered. You know, now there's two species that are probably critically endangered. So, right now that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what effect does helping red pandas have on other species? I know that they're referred to as an umbrella species oftentimes. How does that work? Yeah, so umbrella species, you could also call them a landscape species. And really what that means is that and it, it's sort of connected to the fact that they are a flagship species of the, the eastern Himalayan ecoregion. Um, it's a really important, it, it's, a, it's actually a biodiversity hotspot. Um, and they are a flagship species of that, which means they are a charismatic species that people that people become very mobilized to protect. So they, you know, they're cute. They're they are a unique species. Um, there's not really a lot of species like them, or any species like them. Unless there, I guess there's two species of them, and then I guess they're <laughs> like each other, right? But so, you know, and with that sort of flagship status, they are 
um, also they have a, a pretty decent size home range um, and they're a tree dwelling species. So by preserving them, we're, we're, needing, we're needing to preserve, you know, the entire forest because they need the forest to survive. So when we're preserving them, we're also, you know, preserving not only the, you know, the biotic, um, you know, trees and, and the, the actual environment, but also the, um, you know, the species that, that live with the, the sympatric species that live with them. So, you know, there's leopards, there's Himalayan black bears, um, you know, depending on what part of the range, there's pangolins, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of threatened species that, that live in the same forests as red pandas. Um, and, you know, red pandas are also an indicator species, which is really important as well. So an indicator species is something that if they are around, that's sort of, you know, or if they're not around, that's sort of an indicator of the health of the ecosystem. So if there are, you know, if we're finding that, like, for example, you know, we, we had, um, when we were doing eco trips, we were consistently having trips where people would see between five and 12 red pandas during a one eco trip, um, in the wild, which is incredible. And Amazing. part of that is because our forest guardians have just become so, you know, awesome at, at tracking them. But the other reason is because we're confident that their numbers are growing or we're working. So that, you know, seeing those red pandas at such encouraging numbers indicates that the forests are healthy, that, you know, there's enough bamboo for them to eat. Bamboo is a temperamental plant. And if there are red pandas, or we could look at it this way, if there's, if there's bamboo, that's an indicator that it's a healthy forest. And if there's also red pandas, that's an indicator that the forest is functioning the way it needs to. So yeah, red pandas are an umbrella species. They're also an indicator and a flagship. So they're important on, on many, many levels. Very cool. Very cool. And you've talked about eco trips repeatedly, and I am so desperate to get on one at some point. Um, why don't you tell my listeners about what a red panda eco trip is like? It's phenomenal. It's, it's really, really great. I mean, I got to go on one in 2016. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting talking to people who've also been on. So during the first Panda forum call that I had with, with Gunjan, um, you know, who got to see her, her, actually her first red Panda that she had seen, you know, ever, like she had never seen one in a zoo and she, it happened to be in the wild, which, that I mean, that's just awesome seeing your first red panda in its natural habitat. I mean, that that's just unforgettable. But you know, there's something really special about seeing a red panda in the wild. I mean, obviously, it's 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 really spectacular to see any animal in their in their native habitat. But um, 
to see a red panda, you, you earn it. I mean, you really earn it. Like, I mean, not only, you know, do you have to fly to Nepal, which depending on where you live can be quite, quite the trip, but then getting from Kathmandu to where the eco trips are located, which are obviously in the Himalayas, um, you know, it, it, it's a few, it's a few days to actually get to where you can see a red panda. Um, and it can take a couple days to, to, you know, locate them. We've gotten a lot better at finding them, but you know, it's, it's not like you arrive there and you're taken in a Jeep and they're, you know, someone's pointing, Oh, there, there's a red panda. It's like, you're hiking around for a while and just like the most just spectacular forests. I mean, you know, I, I didn't know that rhododendrons grew as trees until I started working with Red Panda Network and seeing photos. And then when I saw these rhododendron forests, it was just, you know, it just, it was just beautiful. Um, but when you finally see a red panda, when you're looking up at it and it's, you know, being adorable and, um, you know, <laughs> being curious, but also guarded, which is good. Um, it's just this really special moment. And, you know, everyone's whispering because, you know, one, we, we follow this very strict protocol with our ego trips, essentially, you know, create as little disturbance, um, you know, don't stress out the animal, small groups only go, you know, certain times a year, so many times a year. Um, and so everyone's whispering like, Oh my gosh, there's a red panda. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> people are crying. I mean, it's not uncommon for people to tear up. Um, I admit I teared up. Um, well, what's funny is I had been working for the organization for a few years before I, I was able to go on a trip. Um, so, you know, it was a lot of sort of this buildup. Um, and it usually is for most people because most people have known about red pandas for a while before they actually join an eco trip. Um, but I, I strongly recommend it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing like it. I mean, there's nothing like, I mean, you're all, you know, let's not forget you're looking at the Himalayas. Also, you're standing on these, like <laughs> what, what, what they call foothills, but mind you, they're only called foothills because they're right up against the Himalayas in, in the, in the States, these foothills would be very, very large mountains. And these are the mountains that, that the red pandas live on. Um, and they're right up, you know, against Everest and, and, and Kanjanjunga and, you know, all these huge peaks. And so it's, it's really, it's really amazing. That is so cool. Yeah, it is. It is my ultimate dream to do one of those. Well, that and, you know, to get one of the jackets. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you that if you, you do an eco trip, since you're already over there, we could probably hook you up with a jacket. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So I guess uh, I have two other questions for you. Number one is just tell me your favorite fact or, or interesting thing about red pandas. <laughs> I, I I love this question. I, I always ask it during our uh, live chats too. Huh. Um, I mean, I don't have one favorite. I have a lot, but I'll say that I love the huff quack. I mean, who doesn't love the huff quack? Yes. I mean, the, uh, I mean, just the, the name huff quack is just perfect. Um, I mean, it's, 
it's a sound that they'll make you know it's 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 kind of like when they stand on their hind legs actually it's something they'll do when they're upset about something so it's not something i want to hear or see them do often but in the right context um it's really cute and just really you know i mean it's such a it's such a i don't know like a it's symbolic of just how awesome this species this species really is i mean Hey, y'all, it's time for Interrupting John, but then you probably knew that was coming. Alrighty, here is what a huff quack sounds like. Yep, they huff and they quack. Okay, back to the interview. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of funny, like kind of entertaining and um, just also really cute and just you know, they, they really have personalities. I mean, they're, you know, every red panda is different, um, you know, and, and, and sort of seeing their little personalities and their, you know, mannerisms and everything is, um, is just really special. Yeah. A hundred percent. I've gotten to hang out in person with a bunch of them now at different zoos and <laughs> yeah, every one of them's different. I've hung out with an old lady who's just kind of crotchety and a, a young <laughs> dude who was excited to play and, and another dude who was, you know, little cautious might take a berry and then then walk away and look look back a little confused like what are you doing and they're all yeah completely different and they're all wonderful but i do love that about them um yeah and then my final question for you and this this one's going to be a little tricky maybe um Uh i don't know how often you've gotten to be hands-on with animals in general but uh there's a tradition on this podcast where i ask for what i call the rasafari poop story i i don't have a personal experience but I, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, we, we posted a, like a fun fact on, on social media and it was about the red panda latrine sites that they have in the wild, um, which fun fact is, is part of our strategy to, to locate red pandas in the wild. So we actually use their latrine sites, their, their, the, the usually old growth trees and old growth forests. Um, so these trees that red pandas like to use for their communal lat- latrine sites. So they're toilets in the wild, if you want to call them that. <laughs> and um, one of the comments on the, the Facebook post was a zookeeper. And I can't remember if, if they were a he or she, but I just remember them saying that the red panda in the zoo like didn't do that at all um like they would actually uh poop just all over the the (laughs) (laughs) enclosure and it would just be like in a different location every time and they would like try to hide it and it was just it was so funny the contrast between what they do in the wild and what this red panda was doing like the zookeeper was just like yeah that does not happen at all with my red panda like at my zoo that's amazing (laughs) i just thought that was really funny (laughs) very cool very cool well thank you so much for agreeing to do this yeah thank you for having me this has been great well there you have it folks go out and support red panda network any way you can and have a wonderful time celebrating international red panda day 2021 I will see you next week for our regular episodes.
Oh, and blah, blah, blah. Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.